0: All right. well welcome everybody. We'll go ahead and get started. My name is Krista Applequist and I teach speech here and with Valentine's Day being tomorrow, I thought I'd like to have a talk with all of you about our relationship with our phones. And that brings us to today's panel. It's in a relationship with your phones, our emotional attachment to our gadgets and devices. And what I have here is um, some Clinical psychologists, some counselors, and some psychology professors who are going to talk to you about how your phone is impacting you psychologically and emotionally. Okay, so during the panel, ironically, make sure your phones are put away and you're fully present for this discussion. Uh, I'll introduce the panelists and then we'll get right to it. And I do want you to know that I am trying to save about 10 minutes at the end for questions. So if you have a question or just something you'd like to comment on or a personal anecdote you'd like to share, please jot it down during the panel, and, and, or try to m- remember it, and then we will pass a microphone around and let you all participate, too, at the end. All right, so to get started, I will introduce the panelists. We have, uh, we have Teresa Hannon, and she is a full-time counselor and associate professor and a licensed clinical psychologist. We have John deganji he's an addictions counselor. Um, and we have Nick Shesus, a professor of psychology. And Anna Rogers, a full-time counselor and assistant professor in psychology. Okay, so to get started, we are going to just let Teresa Hannon open it up for us. Good afternoon, how are you all doing? I
1: can't see you, so I'm gonna stand up because we're talking about connection, right? We're talking
0: about social
1: connection. So I kind of, I, I titled my sections navigating um, social com- uh, media, the good, The bad and the ugly. Can you all think of the good, and the bad, and the ugly, of social media? Maybe we'll have some time to talk about it at the end. Um, And so, research has long determined. So we are social animals. Humans are social animals. We 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 thrive on connection. We we want connection, right? Right. If you don't see somebody for a few days, you want to talk to someone, right? Somebody that you care about. We want to feel connected. We want to feel a sense of belonging. And we know that people have good social networks, are are, are the happiest people. They seem to thrive better. They actually seem to live longer, right? So this is all good in how social media can connect us to other people. So has anybody found somebody on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, blah, 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 that they maybe lost touch with? Okay. yeah. I think it's happened a lot. It's happened to me. I'm an old fart, so like, you know, when all of us, you allowed all of us uh, old farts to get on Facebook, everybody, you know, we were able to find a lot of people. And so those are some really good connections. Um, Finding old friends, connecting with people, having Facebook groups, having different groups so that you can stay connected if there's something important going on. Um, But we also know that heavy social media Intensity. People who really connect with their phones on a consistent, regular, almost all the time basis tend to have higher levels of depression, <coughs> anxiety, even some social awkwardness, and even like suicide ideation and action. So, can you see why that might happen? Can you see why that happens? Because there is so much going on in social media. That is without thought about how that might affect others. Okay, has anybody seen a picture that threw you in a tailspin? I okay, mean, it was just me. Yeah. Okay, it was no good. Maybe it was just me. Okay, where you maybe felt left out. You maybe didn't know that this person was with this person. Yeah, it really, really can throw us in a tailspin, and then that sense of belonging just goes out the window. Right. We can define our relationship based on our social media, which I don't think is necessarily fair. Agreed. The relationship is really when we are in one-on-one. Social media can be more of an illusion. So um, I wondered. I'm like, why? Why do we do this, right? And I, and I, as a counselor here in in our counseling department, I hear from students all the time about. Well, they said this, and they did this, and I saw this picture. And they said, well, what if you block them? And That that doesn't even occur to us. And it's the same for me, too. It doesn't occur to us. So what keeps us going back? So there is a kind of a theory, and I'm sure a lot of you have heard of it, FOMO, fear of missing out, okay? Like if I don't check, maybe a party is happening. Maybe somebody's saying something about me. Maybe I'm missing a picture. And then when I do try to connect, I'm out of the loop, okay? So I guess, I guess my point is, is if you tend to live in this FOMO life, in this always fear of missing out, eventually that's going to get to you. You're going to be that person that feels less satisfied with your life, okay? And so I just would want you to kind of consider when you're using social media, how this is affecting you. Like how does that, you know, like we've had ne- negative reactions, we've had positive reactions as well, okay? But if every time you go and you look on social media of whatever kind, you're, you're getting down, you're getting upset, right, then maybe finding a way to balance it a little bit. Maybe, you know, maybe you don't have to block friends, but maybe the ones that are maybe the most toxic to your well-being, maybe that's, you know, get them off your feed for a while, okay? We have control. We just don't always feel like we have control because it just automatically comes onto our feeds. Um, and I think what I would be wanting you to ask is, Besides what the internal, what are what are your you know what's coming on for you is, are you gauging your sense of belonging based on likes, based on number of friends, based on who's liking um, your stuff, based on and who's even messaging you, and if that is if that is a the case, then that's a little bit bigger issue that obviously needs to be addressed. We don't want your self esteem to be attached to social media. It can be helpful as well. We do know that some, some sense of connection on social media can also alleviate some level of depression. So we don't want to say no social media. It's about discernment. It's about balance. Does that make sense? Can you, can you guys see? Can you try doing that if <laughs> you're feeling upset?
0: OK, so
1: I'll hand it back to uh, Krista.
0: I just have a question for the audience. Have you ever posted a picture or an anecdote or a funny meme and checked back later to see how many people liked it? And sort of got that self, and do you ever do the opposite? Do you feel bad? Um, On behalf of everyone age 35 and older, so much older than you, I I would just like to formally apologize for ruining Facebook. So we did get in there and take it over. It's all pictures of our kids and whatnot um, about that. Some of my students that I'm really close to on the speech team, I marvel at how hard it is for people in your generation to go through a breakup. When, when I went through a breakup, it was, hey, I'm going to cut up that Polaroid, and now it's destroyed forever. But you, it's just constant reminders. And here they are. And they look so good. Or is that a filter? And what am I missing out on? And oh, I can see their location. And now I'm having other thoughts. And yeah, so it can be just it's I, I can see how it adds tragedy, you know, especially with the, with the FOMO. Raise your hand if you've heard of FOMO before, the fear of missing out, and you give yourself a complex. OK, all right. So we are going to move on, actually, to Mitch Baker, who is not here today because he's not feeling well. Um, but Anna Rogers is going to cover some of his notes and things that he wanted to bring up.
2: Yes, thank you. For those of you lucky enough to have Mitch Baker as your professor, um, I'm honored to speak on his behalf, and I'm I'm not going to crush it like he would have, but he really wanted to talk about the different types of attachment, and there's one specific type of attachment that can be particularly vulnerable to some of the dangers of having these close relationships with with our devices. And at the end of the panel, I'm going to become me again and talk about some of the positive things that I've experienced from being connected to my device. So I'm just going to pull up the four types of attachment. I'm a visual learner, so it always helps to have a picture while you're listening to someone drone on about attachment theory. So there's the secure attachment, which is where somebody feels comfortable in a warm and loving relationship. They depend on other people and they allow others to depend on them. They accept a need for someone to be independent of them, a separateness, autonomy. It's okay if you're away from me. You can have an identity separate from mine. I have security in that. I manage and regulate my emotions well if I have this type of attachment theory. Next is the anxious attachment theory. People in this category tend to fall victim to feeling insecure most of the time um and we're talking about friendships not just um, romantic relationships their device can provide a medium for being constantly worried and bring up sense of abandonment or rejection they tend to need ongoing validation um, and reassurance so being left unread not being liked not having someone read your story. Those are all things that really affect people who fall into this attachment theory differently than the other types. They can be highly emotional and seen as pot stirrers. So people who get on and make negative comments um, can often fall under the anxious category because truly it's a need to feel relevant, not necessarily that they're a nasty person. Then there's the avoidant type of attachment. These individuals will keep you at an arm's length. They equate intimacy with losing their freedom. So if I become close to you, if I'm engaging in several back and forth text messages, if I'm reading your stories, if I'm posting a lot, that will damper my freedom. It tempers my ability to do what I want. Um, They can appear in control and are great in a crisis situation because they, c- they have a very narrow range of emotion, so they can disassociate from things fairly easily, which can be a good thing and a bad thing. Finally, there's the fearful type of attachment. Um, these individuals tend to have unresolved issues from the past or traumas uh, that haven't been um, investigated with a helping professional or resolved. They tend to be distant in order to avoid pain. They can also lack empathy, so those individuals may not perceive when, when they're behaving on social media or um, by using text messaging or anything like this, they don't perceive the other person's feelings um, accurately. They experience it from a place of wanting to avoid pain and trauma again. So studies from the Journal of Computers and Human Behavior, which is an actual journal, I was surprised at that, Um, which I learned as I was preparing for this panel. Um, The higher the score on having this anxious type of attachment, the higher the tendency to show attachment-like features regarding their cell phone. So if you have this in life, you tend to have a higher attachment to a device. And they even measured. All of the attachment types um, did not fare well in terms of if your phone is 20 feet away from you, 50 feet away from you, the further the device was away, the higher the anxiety for all of these types, but it was highest for the anxious category. Mm -hmm. Future research will be very interesting. They are looking at using neuroimaging to see if our attachment to mobile phones will be mirroring romantic relationships and our attachments that we, we create in infancy. So that will be really interesting. <coughs> I look forward to that um,
0: and those results. So that's, that's all I have to say on attachment theory. Thank you, Anna. But well, that was actually Mitch Baker's notes yes. on attachment theory. Um, I have a no cell phones in class rule and some of my students look at me like, oh, you gotta be kidding me, you know? I'm like, no, you need to take it out of your hand before before the skin on your hand kind of grows over <laughs> the actual phone, you know, it can be. So speaking of this, um, and you and your phones, and those of you who couldn't even resist looking at it during this panel, I'm going to have you talk to an addictions counselor now, <laughs> John Deganji. Uh,
3: good, uh Good afternoon, it feels like morning, but good afternoon, <laughs> uh, good to see all of you. Uh, yes, uh, my background for uh, over 40 years has been in the area of addictions. And I think when most people think about addictions, you start thinking about alcohol. A little, a little oh, sorry. You start thinking about alcohol and drugs, which is true. That's a major problem in our society. But people can become addicted to virtually any behavior that he or she finds pleasurable. And obviously, we know that lots and lots and lots of people, millions if not billions of people around the planet find the use of cell phones and computers and GPS systems and Siri and Alexa, et cetera, et cetera, as pleasurable things. And so what switches the process or what switches the situation from someone enjoying something to now something becoming addicted, the person becoming addicted? TO THAT PARTICULAR BEHAVIOR. Um, IF I CAN sp- SPEND A COUPLE minutes MINUTES WITH YOU GOING THROUGH SOME uh, CRITERIA AS HOW DO WE DETERMINE IS SOMEONE DEPENDENT OR ADDICTED TO SOMETHING. AND HERE THEY ARE, TOLERANCE. WHAT IS TOLERANCE? WHEN THE PERSON STARTED OUT DOING SOMETHING AND then THEY GOT PLEASURE FROM IT, BUT THEN THEY WERE STILL DOING IT SO OFTEN THAT that AMOUNT OF ACTIVITY WAS INSUFFICIENT TO GIVE THEM THE PLEASURE THEY WERE LOOKING FOR, AND SO THEY JUST START UPPING IT AND UPPING IT AND UPPING IT, SO NOW THEY NEED TO DO MORE AND MORE AND MORE OF WHATEVER IT IS, NOT TO FEEL BETTER AND BETTER AND BETTER, JUST TO FEEL AS GOOD AS THEY FELT FROM THE VERY BEGINNING. THEN THE COUNTERPART TO THAT IS WITHDRAWAL. IS WHEN YOU TAKE IT AWAY, WHEN YOU DISCONTINUE THE BEHAVIOR, YOU HAVE ALL KINDS OF SERIOUS uh, PROBLEMS, ALL KINDS OF PAIN, PHYSICAL PAIN, SPIRITUAL PAIN, PSYCHOLOGICAL PAIN, EMOTIONAL PAIN, and RELATIONSHIP PAIN, AND SO ON LIKE THAT. SO WHEN YOU'RE IN PAIN, WE LOOK FOR PAIN RELIEF, AND SO WE'RE GOING TO MOVE BACK TO THE USE AGAIN. So it gets to be kind of a vicious circle, a catch-22, that I'm going to keep on doing the very thing that caused this problem to begin with, which is only making the problem worse. I've used the example over the years. It's like you're really thirsty, and there's a glass of salt water in front of you, and so you take the salt water because it's wet, but of course because it's full of salt, it doesn't quench your thirst, and salt dehydrates it, so now we're only more thirsty than we were before we even, even did that. Um, CONTINUED USE OF THE BEHAVIOR OR ENGAGEMENT IN THE BEHAVIOR IN SPITE OF NEGATIVE CONSEQUENCES. SO WE CAN GO THROUGH A LONG LIST OF THINGS THAT DOCTORS ARE TALKING MORE AND MORE ABOUT, FOR EXAMPLE, THAT THE USE OF CELL PHONES AND the USE OF COMPUTERS ARE CAUSING US ALL KINDS OF PROBLEMS IN VARIOUS AREAS OF OUR uh, PHYSICAL AND PSYCHOLOGICAL LIVES. Uh, Using in dangerous situations, this is one of the biggest things, the texting when people are driving. We are so connected to our phones, we cannot even drive a distance and put the phone down. I have seen people even in parking lots going like this, you know, with one hand and their phone is sort of cracked in their neck and they're, you know, bumping in the cars and blocking the... The you know roadway for everybody else. I'm thinking to myself, could you tell the person I'll call you back in 15 <laughs> seconds and let and let me be be kind of be done with this. The research shows us that texting. We all know about drunk driving, and now with marijuana being legal, we have this concern too. Okay, so but the research is on comparing texting of driving along compared to uh, drunk driving. TEXTING AND DRIVING IS ACTUALLY MORE DANGEROUS. DON'T GET CONFUSED. WE'RE NOT SAYING, THEREFORE, DRINKING AND DRIVING <laughs> IS NOT DANGEROUS, <laughs> BUT TEXTING AND DRIVING IS MORE DANGEROUS THAN DRINKING AND DRIVING, wow. OKAY? BUT PEOPLE CAN'T PUT th- put THEIR PHONES DOWN. THEY CAN'T PUT THEIR PHONES DOWN EVEN WHEN THEY'RE DOING SOMETHING THAT IS SO DANGEROUS TO THEM AND MANY, MANY INNOCENT uh, PEOPLE. Um, Then we have cravings. What's a craving? It's like when you just have this unbelievable physical and psychological pull for the activity. Research is showing that people can't go to sleep before they look at their phone. They wake up in the middle of the night to look at their phone. They take their phone into the bathroom with them, and this one was the topper for me, <laughs> one out of every ten people are using their phone while they're having sex, oh, man. okay, I mean, like, come on, <laughs> all right, I mean, get, you know, give me a break here. That okay. that call? Yeah, right, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> in what <laughs> oh. way? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay. Then another key uh, sign is interfering in key areas of your life. We know that human relationships, I have seen people, I've heard people complain about this, like right here, okay? We're you know, having a good time, I think, this, mo- this afternoon. And it would be like, instead of me talking to you know, my, you know, my friends and my students and you know, people here at the school, I want to text you. You're right here. I'm texting you while you're right here. Or I'm reading things on my phone instead of paying attention to you. I guess there's this term, am I using it right, called fubbing? Is that the right way, fubbing? That, that relationships are are breaking up because people are saying, you're not paying enough attention to me, you're paying more attention to your phone or, or your device. So I'm more into my phone than I am into uh, the human beings that are um, around me. Um, then let's see uh oh neglect of other functions that kind of uh, tied on the that, up. that's another uh, symptom and much time spent using and much time spent getting uh trying to get the thing that the person wants so like for example a person who's heroin addicted will spend a tremendous amount of time doing all day activities trying to get their next hit of heroin Well, this kind of struck me as like when they say there's a new iPhone out. Um, I wouldn't stand in line for two days to get a new iPhone. But apparently thousands and thousands of people are willing to do that, okay, which is another sign. Okay, so are phones bad, are computers bad, are a lot of these devices bad? No. Uh, Anna's going to talk about some very dramatic uh, examples of how these have been very, very helpful. I find them helpful in some ways too. But there is this wonderful law called the law of unintended consequences in life where nothing is going to be free. Everything that we do, there's a price to be paid for that. The question starts to become, am I in control of my life? And is this thing, this object, this substance, whatever, you know, there for me to use it? Or has it now become sort of like a boa constrictor that has slowly, slowly, slowly woven itself around me until it has me and then it tightens up and then I am now a slave to, to it? Look at what these things have done to us. We're still debating the last presidential election because of this. The caucuses in Iowa were just a disaster because of this new you know, uh, app that was put on the phones. There's still talk that the next presidential election is gonna be up for grabs because of this. The phones know where you're at all the time. They know what you're doing. They know what you're buying. They, they know who you're talking to. They just have this ongoing record. I like my privacy, I like my freedom. These things are taking these things um, a- away from us. Uh, I think I have one more minute, so really quickly, um, let me just give a a couple more things of some negative things. I mentioned texting with driving, interfering with sleep, uh, adversely affecting friendships and relationships, reducing true social contact. Uh, One thing, too, this is another thing I think is really uh, big, is the American Society of Pediatric Physicians, you know, which is the premier uh, organization. Uh, ARGUABLY IN THE WORLD THAT STUDIES THE WELL-BEING OF INFANTS. THEY SAY ANYBODY UNDER TWO YEARS OF AGE SHOULD HAVE ZERO FACE TIME ON A COMPUTER OR ON A PHONE. BUT WHAT WE'RE SEEING MORE AND MORE IS PARENTS USING THESE THINGS SORT OF AS AT LEAST TEMPORARY CARETAKERS. LIKE HERE. And and, uh, if you ever saw a small child, the gaze that they have, you cannot break their gaze, you cannot get their attention. It is lighting up pleasure centers in the brain in a way that is sort of rewiring the brain. This is not a good thing for the long term for our culture and our society. So um, one real quick thing, they did a study a couple of years ago, it took 1,000 college sophomores, okay, and said, we'll take your phone away for just 24 hours. If you can last 24 hours, fine. Any time that you cannot go without this phone for 24 hours, let us know, we'll give it back to you. Almost 80% of them could not last 24 hours, could not go one day without their phone. Very. thanks for your time and attention.
0: Thank you, John. And to sum up, you know you're addicted if you start experiencing tolerance, you need more and more and more of whatever it is, Mm -hmm. and withdraw and cravings when you uh, make yourself go without it. Um, I've had students tell me that they've deleted an app or stopped subscribing to a page or blocked people because they just felt like it was taking up all their time and they were getting addicted to it. Raise your hand if you've ever had to do that. Did you ever cut yourself off of some kind of social media or something? Or maybe, I know with the Apple phones, you can set time limits. I've got little reminders that come up. Like, Krista, you have to stop arguing with your relatives on Facebook about political issues because you've been doing it for an hour and 20 minutes now. <laughs> <laughs> it's, you have a kid, go, you know, like, yeah, I have that little reminder. Um, that, that, I can find that helpful, too. Um, all right, so now we are going to move on to our professor of psychology, Nick Shizas. Hi,
4: everybody. Thanks for inviting me to be on the panel. It's always nice to talk about relationships before Valentine's Day, right? Now it yeah, it is. <laughs> I teach human, uh, I teach one of the classes that I teach at this college is human sexuality. Uh, and so I thought it would be appropriate to share some information about how technology influences our relationships, a little bit about what John talked about as well, right? And then I was kind of looking at some apps that could help us in our relationships. Actually, I found an app about fertility. I, I found an app oh. about, you know, when to have safe sex and all that kind of stuff, which was kind of cool. And then I ta- and then I read a little bit about Tinder. I mean, it's kind of cool, uh, but it's kind of scary too. I found some, you know, dangerous things that I'm kind of afraid to tell you about. Uh, I know, but I, but I, but I think I might if I have enough time. So
0: <laughs> we have time Nick. Okay. <laughs> I just made time.
2: Yeah. We're on the edge of our seats, actually.
4: Can technology harm our relationships, right? So, look, it's nice to to send a quick text, right? When I'm thinking about my partner, it's nice to like send a quick text, hey, I'm thinking about you today, right? Sending a quick, I love you. Like those are ways that we can keep connected, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And that kind of thing, you know, some people even use it of course, you know, to send, you know, flirtatious things, sexually explicit material, you know, there's certainly dangers to that, but there's ways to stay connected, I guess, right? So personally, of course, it's made my life easier in a lot of different ways, right? Helps me with emergencies. I can communicate with my wife really quickly when I'm at the store. And I say, okay, I think I got everything I need, and I and I shoot a quick call and say, is there anything else we need from Trader Joe's, you know, or something like that? And she'll <laughs> say, yeah, you know, you know, and, and so I don't have to make two trips. So it has made my life easier, and it's made your life easier in a lot of ways too. Have you guys ever been into like an emergency, like car accident, uh, your car stalled, right? I mean, before telephones, I mean, they were crazy expensive, right? And so you'd have to wait for tow trucks. I mean, so I don't think I could sit here and say that technology hasn't been helpful. It has been helpful. Here's where the problem is, though, folks. It's hard to put them down, as John said, right? It's hard to put them down when I get home. It's hard to put it down when you get home. Um, So, when you're at home, when you're in class, when you're with other people that you care about, it is challenging. So, like, I have anecdotal evidence, and I have people tell me all the time, you know, I wish my partner would put their phone down, right? Like they're ignoring me, right? Mm -hmm. I I get interrupted all the time. We don't talk anymore. Mm -hmm. And so I have info of what people have told me, but I wanted to look at a couple of research studies to see is there any proof to this, right? Is there data showing that this damages relationships? So check this out. Um, I read a research study. 2016, for anybody that's curious, the professors who put this together are called McDaniel and Coin, Coyne, like C-O-Y-N-E, um, they wanted to see if distractions affected people's relationships, right, so when you get interrupted by technology, when the phone rings, right, when you get a text message, when you get a call, when you start thinking about things that you want to look up, you know, those things are called, well, they call them um, technoference. That's what they termed it. That's what they called this, like interference, like interference, technoference, right? And they wanted to see how often this happens and does it bother people. Um, 143 married or cohabitating women were in the study, right? And uh, the majority of women in the study perceived that technology. And so they said, you know, what, like what kind of technology? Computer time, cell phone time, smartphone time, TV time, all that stuff. Frequently interrupted their interactions all the time all the time. And I, and, and then I, and then as I read more, like where, where are these interruptions happening? They're happening when you're having dinner, they're happening when you're hanging out, they're happening when you're at restaurants, they're happening when you're out together, when you're driving, when you're in bed and during intimate time, right? Which kind of shocks me. Yeah,
2: As we just heard. Yeah. Yeah.
4: (laughs) During pillow talk. (laughs) It's sad. It's sad to me to lay down, be in bed with a partner, right? And I'm on my phone, and you're on your phone the whole time while you're in bed before you go to bed. It's even more mind-blowing to me, again, like we said, to be with a partner intimately, and then to, you know, I I just don't know how to do it, you know? I don't know how to be intimate with somebody, right? To be feeling these physical things and then be like, you know... (laughs) and then being on my phone. So I mean, it's, it's, it's insulting. I think what's even, even more insulting sometimes is after an intimate activity, the partner goes straight to their phones, right? And you're like, thanks.
2: That feels warm. You know, yeah. I, I mean, has
4: it, ha, like, I'm not asking about that last part, but, <laughs> but has that stuff ever happened to you guys? Like, like, when you're with people, do they go on their phones? Are they distracted? Like, just give me a raise of hand. Does it happen to you all the time? The other question is, does it bother you? because that's what the study's showing here right so i read this study and i was looking at i was looking at the results section and it says that uh for those women who said that it happens all the time the more the interference happens the more relationship conflicts they have the more arguments they have the more resentment that they have the more that their life satisfaction is down and the one thing that surprised me was they also reported depressive symptoms on top of that too? And so that, so that you know, again, I'm not surprised that the phone's going to annoy your partner, and the and the phone is going to cause jealousy and resentment and whatnot. But depressive symptoms, depressive symptoms at least, that was one of the first studies that I noticed that. So I guess we got to make a conscious effort to put the phone down, because um, John, like you said, they're basically saying that I'm not worthy of your attention, right? So I get that, you know. I mean, if I'm sitting there for two hours at home on my couch and my partner potentially is on their phone the whole time and I'm thinking to myself, you know, these are two hours that we should be saying hi to each other, right? We should Mm -hmm. at least ask each other how our day is. And so I guess that I can see where that's irritating. Um, It's not absurd, I think, for your partner to want you to be there mentally and physically. Um, Can I tell you guys about a second study? Do we got time? Yeah. yeah. 2008, this is two years ago, right? Uh, the professors here are called LaPierre and Lewis. Uh, they ask 170 students, college students, what they think about their partner's phone dependency. And so they're looking here, not how much you use it, but how much you think you need it, right? Which is mirroring, again, what John talked about, too, how much the dependencies here. So the more dependent that you think your partner is to their telephone, again the lower your satisfaction is going to be in your relationship but the kind of the interesting thing that i found here is the more unsteady you think that relationship is the more rocky you think it is, the more you think to yourself, you know, I don't know if this is going to continue. I don't know if this is going to go long term. So you have uncertainty in your relationship. Again, Mm -hmm. I think there's some level of jealousy there, to be honest with you. Mm -hmm. If you think that, you know, if I think that my partner is so dependent on that to where they need that more than me, where do I stand? Mm -hmm. And so I can see where it causes those kinds of issues. Um, So, again, just some things to consider. So I'm going to ask you guys to to consider these questions. So. The studies are saying that they tend to hit in five times. These interruptions happen at five times. When you're in bed, when you're eating, when you're hanging out, when you're in your car, uh, and th- I guess those four things. Can you take a moment and ask anybody that's sitting directly next to you, which one of those four things would bother you the most? When you're in bed, when you're driving, when you're at dinner, or when you're hanging out? Like if your partner kept getting interrupted, <laughs> like, like go ahead and ask, I'm curious. And what do you guys think?
1: You can think of
0: friendships as well. Yeah, if you're not with. No, somebody, no, you right? have to be in a
4: relationship. No, 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 you have to. Be. I don't go to bed with my friends. With
0: <laughs> family and <laughs> friends. Yeah.
4: Are you guys bothered by that? I mean, I would. Yeah, yeah, I guess yeah, yeah. Uh, I, uh, maybe not so much in the car. But
2: I think I'm the one that bothers. Right. My other party.
4: My other I see. Party more. <laughs> yeah. Especially. And, uh,
3: friendships too. Friends to I me mean, when we were eating, you're to eat, you're
4: it's, eating. It's, yes. I'm, it's just something to consider and we're not going to answer necessarily like you know like who's bothered by what but but, but just give you just as a as a therapist here's what I would tell if that was an issue that was in my office when I'm working with a couple this is what I would tell them I would say if the pillow talk stuff bothers you just try to make a pack to just put them away put them away before you go to bed Try to put them away during intimate activities, please. (laughs) Your mealtime, turn them off unless somebody's, you know, uh, unless you're depending on somebody. Like in in my case, if I'm out to dinner and I got uh, somebody watching my child, I just might keep my eye on my phone just to make sure that the babysitter's not calling or something like that Mm -hmm. in that example. Um, In the car, if that bothers you and you really enjoy your conversations in the car, again, put them away there. Uh, or if you must answer your phone during a leisure activity, I think research indicates that you should probably just tell your partner, here's why I'm answering it, and just giving them an explanation out of respect. Mm -hmm. And and which kind of ties into what what Professor Baker was going to, Anna, he he, he and I were in the office talking about our talking points, Mm -hmm. and he says, you know, you miss out, you miss out sometimes on like the authentic experiences, right, when you're with people. it's embarrassing sometimes to tell somebody, "Can you repeat that again?" You know, I mean, mm. you miss those moments. So, <laughs> so that's one thing. And, and Mitch was saying, since we're on our phones so much, um, uh,
2: so
4: w- we forget how to be bored. Yes. And and we forget sure. how to be mindful, right? Mm-hmm. And that kind of thing. And, and he says it's just kind of tough to where you're always kind of connected. You know, I, maybe you could talk about social awkwardness, too, because we talked about yeah. that in the office as well. But, you know, those are other things. I, I have the Tinder stuff, too, that I want to talk about. But, you know, but uh, but maybe, the I don't carrot.
0: know. <laughs> <laughs>
1: carrot, I know. I don't
4: know. It's not good news.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I think you should expound on that a little bit, Nick.
4: On the, the Tinder, tinder the stuff. Yeah. stuff, okay. Because, I mean, yeah. so
0: everybody knows somebody who has it, you know. Nobody here has it, but All everybody right. knows, knows someone, yes. knows a friend or
4: okay. or the
2: other <laughs> Tinder-like <laughs> right. apps cuz there's right. so many now.
4: All right, I'm going to tell you what I the notes that I took here. All right, a lot of dating apps, right? Tinder's one of the number one ones. Uh, in my human sexuality course this past week, we talked about how physical attractiveness is one of the major determinants for considering dates, considering people that you're going to be with, you know, and Tinder I think, you know, hi- highlights that because I mean, you have to think that they're good looking to swipe right, right? Of course, one of the issues is when they show up, they might not actually look like that. Uh, and and and, uh, but if you swipe left, and uh, I again, mean, I've never used Tinder. Uh, they tell me it's free. <laughs> <laughs> one of my students said, you know, sign up and see what it's like. I'm like, I don't know, unless you want to sponsor my divorce. <laughs>
3: like,
4: ain't happening, man. You know, no, no. But in all seriousness, if you swipe left, you know, this might, you're you're missing out on somebody who could be your potential. Soulmate, right? I mm-hmm. mean, you know, you're a key person here. So, um, so, so, anyway, so I guess with the appearance thing, it could be pretty shallow. The good thing about Tinder is you can meet a lot of people. You can meet a lot of people. It expands your dating pool. There's a lot of cool stuff on people's profiles. You could even find friends to hang out with if you're on vacation and you don't want anything else. I mean, that's, those are some of the positive parts about Tinder. Uh, the other thing to know about, you know, and if you're looking to hook up with somebody, right? There's that too. Mm-hmm which I think is what it's known for, right? Yes. Okay. Two research studies that I read, one from 2014, one from 2015, right? says that, I don't know if you agree with this, but this is what the data says. Women are more interested in having, if women are gonna have sex, they're more interested in having sex within committed relationships. Mm
3: -hmm.
4: Men might be more seeking short-term sex if they use Tinder, right? and women might be looking for more commitment and love. So they're they're using it in different ways. That's what the data says. Do you think that men are mo- looking more for hookups and women are looking more for committed relationships?
1: I see a strong no in the audience.
4: Okay.
2: Good point. Mm-hmm.
4: So you're saying, Carlos, that women might be using it for hookups too but the social desirability piece, right, in our society, right, and, and, and the shame, if you will, you know, and that kind of thing, the double standard that exists for women, right? Okay, so maybe that's where the research is coming from. And, and so the research is indicating that you just might, fi- you might find yourself disappointed to know that the partner that you're hoping to find isn't really looking for a long-term relationship, you know, and that kind of thing. Um, so, and, and I don't want to scare anybody.
2: But this is gonna scare you. But I too don't know, late. Man. <laughs> Go for it. So I
4: started looking up, like you know, dangers of Tinder, and uh, I didn't read anything about murders. But one of my students said you could get murdered. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I read more about robberies, <laughs> mm-hmm. and like people create fake profiles, they meet you, they lure you, and then they rob you, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, I guess I'd rather be robbed <laughs> than than be harmed, you know, uh, in other ways. But so. I read, you know, how do you protect yourself from that? So one of the things that one of the articles that I read online said that I don't know how I feel about this, but if I go on a Tinder date, I'm to take a picture of that person and then send it to a friend just in the event that they harm me or do something to me. So maybe that's a suggestion I might give you guys. Hmm. Um, So anyway, technology, again, it could help. It could help people in some relationships, um, and there's some downsides as well. Anyway, that's all I wanted to share. I did, I did, I wanted to say that, you know, pe- different genders appear to be using it in different ways.
0: Well, thank you for that, Professor Shizus and uh, Technoference.
4: That's what we call it.
0: Yep. I, uh, I love I, that term. I get really preachy about the no cell phone use because of the distraction in my class and about how you don't learn as well and things like that. But the truth is, since I'm with psychology people, I'll go ahead and dig deep and, and admit, I really actually just take it personally. And at one, one time, I, I reprimanded one of my students for texting during class. and I said, how would you feel if you came and saw me to have a conversation about something and I was just texting the entire time? And he looked at me and he said, I would feel like I was talking to anybody in my generation. I'm like, oh, <laughs> like, how do you stand it? Um, all right, okay, so now it's not all bad when it comes to how our gadgets and phones and technology influence us emotionally. Um, you know, it's not always all bad. And to talk toward that, I'm going to give you Professor Anna Rogers. I think that that last comment you made about
2: your experience with your student is the perfect segue into this, because as I was thinking about what am I going to say today, because now I'm me, not, I'm no longer Mitch Baker, um, though it was an honor. Um, <laughs> I was thinking many of you have never grown up not knowing what it's like to in, in the age of the no cell phone, I had cartoons. That was about all the entertainment I had. I had no connectivity. If there was no neighbor available, I was solo. I had to self-soothe. If, I, if my parents yelled at me, I had no one to reach out to. So in a way, I was thinking it's sort of a good thing that this entered into to people's lives. There are a lot of situations. There's a lot of us as counselors we know, as counselors we know, that life is not fair and that often many of us live in, in situations that have chronic, toxic stress, mm-hmm. whether that be invited in, into our life or it just is in our family dynamic. Mm-hmm. And sometimes that phone can be a real lifeline. Um, so, so that's where my mind went immediately. And then I saw the Super Bowl and I saw this commercial I'd like to play. I'm not sure if this is legal.
0: just pause the
4: record button Troy
1: this was on the super bowl during the
3: super hey, bowl hey google show me photos of me and loretta <laughs> remember loretta hated my mustache Remember, Loretta loved going to Alaska, and scallops. Show me photos from our anniversary. Remember, she always snorted when she laughed. Play our favorite movie. luckiest man in the world Come on boy
0: Okay so following
2: the rules so that commercial elicits a lot of neurotransmitters in my brain. I I get emotional every time I've seen it. Mm -hmm. Um, And it reminded me, as I was looking at my phone and trying to invent what I was going to share with you today, I thought, why do I like you? Why am I in a relationship with you? Why do I spend more time with you than I do my children and husband at times? There are days where I am that person. um, I don't drive and text, but I'm. I'm on the phone a lot in my car waiting for my kids to get out of this or that. And the answer that came to me was very much like that commercial. On here is a recording of my life. Mm. It touches my explicit and episodic memories in such a very tender way. It has an exact recording of every life event since I've bought the phone um, in more detail than even those who are close to me could recall and remember. So I think that's speaking of attachment and attachment theory, I think that's why I'm so attached to it. But also I wanted to share with you all, you know, it's my favorite color. It's an extension of myself. It's personalized. I have my little avatar my daughter taught me how to create, has its own ringtone. So it's, it's, it's personalized to me. It's an extension of me, but also, In November of 2013, I had had a stroke. And if I didn't have an attachment with my phone like I do, um, I don't know that I would be here. So my stroke rendered my ability to talk um, impossible. Um, It paralyzed the right side of my um, vocal cords. So my speech was inaudible. I could make sound, but you couldn't hear, you couldn't discern the words. Um, I had involuntary movement that was visually scary. The paramedics arrived on the scene, and when you see fear in paramedic, paramedics' eyes, it's not comforting. So as a counselor, I was trying to calm him down. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> it, and so I began to text him it, when I was in the ambulance. Um, we'll get through this, and I would show him. He said, are you on any medications? And just so that it creates, um, A visual for you. That's how I sounded. So I could say I could shake my head. I understood him, but he said, "Which medications? How do you say you know? I was I had had a heart attack prior to this. How do you say any ACE inhibitor? Pronounce that even in the English language, let alone when you're immobilized. So I was spelling out my medications, and I saw it comforting him, and. He said, how do you feel? And I said, things feel like they're getting slightly better. Now, that was a lie, but I didn't need him to also have some sort of traumatic event associated with, with our exchange. Um, and as a result, uh, we developed sort of a friendship over time because he said that was the first time he truly felt helpless. He didn't know what steps to take. And he was calling and, and his hand was shaking. He was calling uh, the ER and telling them I w- that I was on, on my way. Um, also, it allowed me to stay in touch with people who wanted to know what was going on. The entire neighborhood wanted to know. I was kind of the resident sick person in the neighborhood, and they knew the ambulance was likely for me. Um, so it was a nice way to, to reassure people. I guess my point is, when I look at this, um, I do have a relationship with it. I, I have good memories and not so good memories, but it's been with me through thick and thin. And it has a recording of now I have medications in my phone so I can pull up in my notes and I can spare myself um, typing things out if I'm rendered paralyzed in any other way. So I just I thought that that would resonate with people because I knew we would be talking about some of the dangers mm-hmm. and and how it how it affects some of our vulnerabilities and insecurities how it affects our brain um, but it also is very much associated with our our uh, memories and I think it can elicit our happy neurotransmitters it can our serotonin our dopamine um, seeing a picture my 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 wallpaper is my children and this just is, 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 is an involuntary joy reaction to seeing their faces. And it's a beautiful way to go into a session with a student or to, to just face the day. So I wanted to share that with you all because I know there's probably some of you saying, you know you all didn't grow up with phones and don't understand what this is like. Some of you are of my age or older and, and may understand what I'm saying. Um, but I thought sometimes keeping it real and sharing being vulnerable is more impactful than, than some um, journal article. So that, that's basically yes. all I had to share. you know
1: can I add um, that is a great story I mean Thank that you. is a great story and I d- you know as you're talking I don't think about the, the memories that are created and all the pictures and um, I'm older than most people in the room but I would be lost if I could not connect to my two grown children who are married and living out of state and living far away mm-hmm. because I can connect with them. We use Google Doodle or Hangouts or whatever is available. Because I have grandchildren, I have a new daughter-in-law, and I would be lost if I didn't have that connection. Because it's not the same when you talk on the phone. I could see their faces. I could see, I could see my, my four-month-old granddaughter. So that is something that we, I do have to honor how important it is. So I just thought I'd like to share that, too.
2: I was just gonna ask a question, if that's okay. Am I sealing your job? I, I would just, I'm interested in, in after you've heard what we've had to say today, I- is the audience leaning one way or the other in terms of are these relationships with our devices good? Are they neutral? Are they not so good? Is it a hybrid? Um, could somebody speak to their thoughts? Um, and we, we do have a microphone for you ra- in ra- the back.
3: Yeah, Raise your hand, I'll come to you.
2: I, I would like to hear from you all, too, um, how, how these devices have impacted your life.
0: Thanks, Crystal. Hi, um, my name is Crystal. And I, th- I think that it's a, bit, a little bit of both, actually. I think that they can be useful and, and helpful, but I think that we should maybe uh, try to curb our use of it at times because it can get in the way of our relationships. So, yeah, I think that, yeah. I think it's a mix of both, pretty much.
2: That techno which is the word of the day. Yeah, yeah. I love that word. I'm
4: glad,
5: I'm glad we were able to add that.
2: <laughs> I love Me too. Is that your
5: term? No, it's not my term, no. I think it's for uh, me, it's, it's like, like what everybody said, like everybody uses them, right? But it's the social media, I think, is the problem. I don't think that it's, um, like the phone itself. I think the phone is very helpful. I think it's the social media part that ruins the relationships Mm -hmm. for us. Mm -hmm. Like you made me cry when you Mm -hmm. told that story. It was a really good story because my great grandmother a stroke affected my family, so mm. like that was really smart. Like mm-hmm. you were really quick on your feet. Oh, and then thank you. as a counselor, like I think it was really cool how you tried to like calm the guy down even though you're the one who needed <laughs> the help. So thank kudos you. to you. Thank like you I'm so still much. teared up from the story because it was so good. Like I'm happy to see you doing good. Thank like, you, <laughs> yes, <laughs> Yay, thank you, you know? thank <laughs> but you. But I don't think that I appreciate that, yeah, me too. I'm happy you're okay. Yeah. I don't think that it's the phones. I think the phones are great. And I work for Verizon and I see like, so many ways that the phones are helpful yes. like I I met this little boy he had autism mm-hmm. and he airdropped me to my phone a, a little boy with autism he loves I don't know what you call him it's crazy because I see him every single day but like he's infatuated with um I can't think of it, but he loves them. He takes lots of pictures of them and the iPad and things like that. It helps him. So to sum it all up, I think that the phones aren't bad. It's not the phone. It's the social media yes. that we use on the phone that makes the phones toxic to our relationships. Mm. That's what I think. That's a good point.
2: Yes, that is, yeah, a, good that is a good point. Because they are separate. Yeah, yeah, yeah thank you.
4: life on social media is certainly not real life so
6: hey hi yeah i just had a question as far as like the human brain does the human brain know that the phone is a device like like um the old man uh, what was her name lorena lorena like when she's saying i love you does the brain know that that's not lorena because he's like it's a relationship right like if my girlfriend texts me if she says it to my face i'm happy i smile right if she texts it to me I'm getting that response. So does my brain realize that, hey, mm-hmm. that's not really her, that's why I can deny it? Like it's giving me happiness, laughs and movies, whatever I'm watching, just I
2: think that it, I, I don't want to speak for everybody, but I think that absolutely there are similar neurotransmitters mm-hmm. released and responses, and it does tap into the different pieces of your brain that are connected to your girlfriend um, or your partner emotionally. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the research that is now coming out will be looking at how similar our relationships with our phones are to romantic relationships, to uh, relationships with our parents um, from infancy. So I don't know that all of that neuroimaging research is, is out just yet, but, you know, I, I hope, I look forward to it because er, er, I, I, I would say yeah. yes.
3: L- let me add, to like that, actually in a lot of cases the answer is no, that the inventors the producers the manufacturers the retailers uh even more than brilliant minds like this of uh who are on this panel and Mitch you aren't here like you know students of human behavior i say some of the greatest minds in in terms of understanding human behavior work in advertising and marketing and public relations so these things trick the brain into making the brain think that it's, quote, unquote, real, OK? So even, even that commercial, I saw the commercial on the Super Bowl, and I had a really negative, visceral reaction to it, which I think I'm in the minority. <laughs> and one of the reasons was because uh, the, like Google was using personal pronouns, like, I'll remember. And people talked to Siri like, what did she say? This is not a person. <laughs> this is a thing. Okay, your phone is a thing. Okay, it's uh, your computer's a thing, it's not a person. So, no, it it tricks the brain to think that something is more real than it actually is.
2: Except that I feel our brains wired the same now because our brains are shaped by our, our experiences, and people who grow up with an iPad in their hand or a device in their hand, they give my daughter. Uh, an iPad when she was going into the MRI um, or some some kidney test or something like this. So it, the, it, I, I'm not sure our brains are all wired the same as we evolve as a species. And if you have, if you grow up with an electronic device, um, I don't... I, for me the verdict is still out, and it'll be interesting. And then
6: just similar, like as far as like being in an abusive relationship, you know, you come up with the things that are positive, right? So you told me all these negative things about the phone, but if I love my phone, you know, it's not going anywhere. So <laughs> And you, you <laughs> cannot
1: and deny and you cannot deny human connection in eye contact, facial expressions and, and body language. I it mean, because how many of us have been asked, How are you doing? and you say fine. And but you're not fine because your body is saying that. Now, if you did that through text, you cannot, you, you can't read. People cannot read you when you say, I'm fine, in a text. So, you know, I, I mean, there's different ways of thinking of this. I don't think there's wrong, one wrong answer, one right answer here. I think that's part of the issue.
4: Right, it's hard to pick up on tone in texts. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Except you? when it's all capital. Yeah, right. Yeah. I've <laughs> gotten myself
2: <laughs> in trouble with
5: that. Um, My name is Chance. I wanted to mention like I'll be talking to my friend about a subject and then I'll go on social media like Instagram and an ad will pop up about what we'll be talking about. So Mm -hmm. that's where I get suspicious about the phone and technology Mm -hmm. because you never know what's going on. Mm -hmm. Like you may be aware of what's going on right now, but I feel like it's things are much deeper than what they are on the surface, so no, that's
3: what I wanted you're to mention. are no, Yes. That's a great
4: point. Pick up on, uh, I mean, our phones pick up on all of our habits, right? I didn't have time, and I don't know if I was going to talk about it, but I mean, there's this app that I was looking at called GLOW, G-L-O-W, that if you enter, it's a fertility app, right, and a menstruation app, and you enter the days when your period starts, you enter the days where your period ends, and you enter your body temperature each day and it gives you an algorithm over 30 days of, like, one of the safest days to conceive, one of the safest days where you want to avoid interaction if you don't want yeah, a child. I mean, that's kind of helpful, right? I think it is a little bit weird, you know, when it, when the alarm goes off, you know, today you should, you know, conceive, <laughs> like, <laughs> okay, <laughs> what are we doing at nine, you know? <laughs> I know, however, but I'm wondering, like, you know, so, so that, so my personal information in that aspect right you know might get sold to somebody right and so that's where they develop ideas on how our bodies work right and so you're right That that is the downside to that the fact and john you were talking about how you know we're tracked all the time right yeah. i mean i kind of like it in some respect because you know if i was a drug dealer i guess it's good for the police to know where <laughs> i'm at and what i'm doing and if i get carjacked mm-hmm. it's good for them I mean it's good for the cameras to see that but on the other hand you know we don't know how that they might use all that kind of stuff so anyway but you're right
0: now I would like to point out that it is is 1.30, so I am going to officially adjourn um, however if you want to stay back and approach the table and ask some more questions to some people as an individual by all means but I would like to say thank you for coming and thank you so much for your support
4: how about a round of applause yes thank,
1: thank, thank you, you for all. your
0: comments.